Um, good evening, everyone. Um, and uh, as you know, we're, tonight we're going to dig into this topic of um, faithfulness, the, the next in our series in the Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but before um, I get on with that, um, can I recommend a book to you all, a book that uh, those of us who are uh, been preaching a, a slot in this series have found very helpful. It's called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, Growing in Christlikeness. It's by Chris Wright of the Langham Partnership, and he was here earlier this year speaking to us. It's a brilliant book. It was a series of sermons preached um, in the Port Stewart, um, Keswick Port Stewart. It's going to be much better than this sermon. So really, to be honest with you, if you get on now and download it, you know, next 20 minutes, even if it's really boring, I really won't be offended and you'll, you'll, you'll benefit from it. It's, a, it's an excellent book. I wonder, um, when I said the word faithfulness, or when you heard that word earlier tonight, what image came to mind? Some of you will have thought about your husband or your wife and your promise to remain faithful to them. Some of you will have thought about your dog, faithful companion, all doughy-eyed, who'll never let you down. Some of you will have thought about your dog before you thought about your husband or wife, and none of you will have thought about your cat. As we've sung tonight, faithfulness is a big word in the Bible. It appears a lot. In a, in a moment of procrastination this week, I counted that the word faithful, faithfully, or faithfulness, occurs about 160 times in the translation of the Bible that we're using, the NIV. Again, if you're bored and you haven't gone for the download the book option, there's something for you to occupy. Have a look, and you'll see this word comes again and again and again, right through all of the books of the Bible. But, but what does faithfulness mean in the Bible? In particular, what does it mean when it says that God is faithful? Well, I think we can sum it up in two words. The first is integrity. Now, tonight, I'm going to be jumping around a wee bit in the Bible, and in the notes here, I've just put up some references. Please feel free not to, 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 to chase yourself around. I'll be reading those verses out, but if you're making notes, you might find those, those verses helpful. God is described as faithful because he, he sticks to his word. He tells the truth. He keeps his promises. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, The word of the Lord is right and true, Therefore, he is faithful in all he does. Psalm 145, verse 13, the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. Biblical faithless, faithfulness means integrity. But secondly, it also means fidelity. God is described as faithful, not only because he sticks to his word, but because he sticks to his people. He is reliable, dependable, loyal. Moses said to the people of Israel, know that the Lord your God is God, for he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant, his promise of love to a thousand generations. The Bible writers are brutally honest. They recognize that the people who claim to love and to worship this faithful God, well, they're often faithless in contrast to his faithfulness. The prophet Hosea, he doesn't pull his punches. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge against those of you who live in this land. 
there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God and the land. And note, he, he didn't say that about pagans. He wasn't talking about non-believers. He wasn't talking about those outside of the church. He's saying it to the Israelites, to believers. He's saying, you are unfaithful. But even to this faithless people, God remains faithful. And he uses the illustration of marriage to do it. He uses marriage language. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. Even you who are faithless, I will betroth you. God remains loyal to his disloyal people. He is faithful even when they are faithless. So integrity, fidelity, these are the biblical concepts, the values summed up in that word faithfulness, the, the word we're looking at tonight. And they still resonate, don't they, in, in our modern world. Our culture still values integrity. We still expect our politicians to be honest, to tell the truth, to stick to their word. Perceived lack of integrity can end a glittering career. Just ask Boris Johnson. Our culture values fidelity most of the time, especially in relationships. We, we like it when people stick with the team or stay true to their partners or be reliable friends. Like, like Ruth in that passage I, that uh, Christoph read for us earlier, where you go, I will go. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? It just resonates. We, we instantly love what Ruth is saying there. We dislike, distrust, infidelity, or disloyalty. Um, Rishi Sunak is having a bit of a hard time at the minute because he's perceived as, by some of the members of the Tory party, as being the backstabber, as being the disloyal person who uh, was uh, sort of set the ball rolling uh, uh, to oust the, the Prime Minister. Fidelity is valued most of the time in our culture, but not all the time. Perhaps a bit less keen on fidelity, faithfulness about, well, matters of faith. It distrusts those who hold firmly to belief, who hold to values which might seem a bit out of touch with today's world, and then fidelity or faithfulness can sometimes be rebranded. People get a bit nervous about it. They think perhaps that seems a wee bit zealous, intolerant. We're going to come back to that later on. Faithfulness and integrity and fidelity is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one aspect of the character of the Lord Jesus that God grows in our lives as we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, and by his Spirit, we become more like him. Jesus was a man of utter integrity. He told the truth, even when it was unpalatable, or not what his listeners wanted to hear. For example, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Rich religious people didn't want to hear that then, I don't think we want to hear that now. Or on the night before his death, Jesus tells his disciples that they will let him down. But Peter, one of his best friends, pledges his undying loyalty. Lord, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And Jesus replies, 
will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. That's not an easy thing to say to your friend, is it? Who's just pledged his loyalty to you, Peter. Hate to say it, mate. But you're lying. You're going you're gonna to betray me. Jesus told the truth, even when it was disagreeable. But more than, more than that, not only did he tell the truth, he claimed to be the truth, to embody truth. To his followers, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To Pilate, he said, I came into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are, these are incredible claims, aren't they? This isn't the sort of thing that normal people say about themselves. In the multicultural world of Jesus, in first century Palestine under Roman rule, there were lots of claims to truth, all sorts of philosophies and theologies and gods to follow. But Jesus said, if you want to know the answers, the answers to life's big questions, then look no further than me. You want truth? You're looking at it. You're listening to it. And amazingly, people believed him. People believed him then, and we do now, for we can see it. We can see his integrity, can't we? We can, by the Spirit, we can get it. We know this is true. This man is a man of absolute integrity and of truth. He's also a man of fidelity. He, he stuck to the task God had given him, even when it's hard, even when it cost him physical and emotional pain. Remember that, that, that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, yet as you will. That's the prayer of a faithful servant of God. I'm going to stick with the mission. Jesus was faithful to his Father. He told his disciples to pick up their cross and to do what? To do what somebody else did? No, he said to, to follow him me to a cross because that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to be faithful to that mission he was faithful to the mission and he was faithful to the disciples he stuck with his followers even when they hadn't stuck with him Peter fulfilled those words of Jesus on the night of his betrayal when Jesus needed him most Peter let him down he disowned him he denied that he knew him and when the cock crowed we remember we read that Peter remembered Jesus' words, left the courtyard and wept bitterly. Have, have you been there? Have you let him down like that? Done something you think he'll never forgive? Then take a walk along the beach there in John chapter 21 by the Sea of Tiberias. Listen to that beautiful, gentle heartfelt conversation between the resurrected faithful Lord Jesus and the same faithless disciple. Um, Simon, do you truly love me? Simon, do you, do you truly love me? Do you love me? 
and three answers. Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And of course, Jesus knew that John, that, that Simon Peter loved him. Of course he knew that. But he needed Peter to know it too. He needed Peter to remember it. He needed Peter to see the love that he had put in his heart for him and to recognize that it was real and to bring it out and to restore him and to restore the confidence in Peter in the faith that he had given him. He didn't abandon Peter as a, a lost cause. Jesus exemplifies faithfulness in, in faultless integrity and in utter fidelity. And as his followers, he has us in his grip. He will not let us go. So Paul can say with certainty to the believers in Corinth these lovely words. He will keep you strong to the end. So you, you, you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He's going to do it. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, integrity, fidelity, and it's exemplified par excellence in the words and the life of Jesus Christ. But fruit doesn't grow overnight, does it? takes time to, to ripen and to mature. So how can we, how can we cultivate it? Um, some of you might remember a chap called Eric Lawley. He was a previous member of this church who is now uh, with the Lord. Uh, those of you who recognize, remember that word, I can see you smiling when I say that. Eric used to sit down there near, near the front. Um, Eric didn't adhere to the culture of Presbyterian worship. Uh, not only did he like, not like, he didn't like, he wanted to sit near the front. That's always a bit of a suspicious trait among Presbyterians, isn't it? But he, he wanted to sit near the front, but he liked to shout out a disconcerting amen or yes during the preaching if he agreed with what was being said. Okay, <laughs> fantastic, well done, <laughs> I hoped. Um, anyway, I had the privilege of getting to know Eric a wee bit uh, when I was a teenager. And uh, he would invite me out to go for a walk with him along the beach and, and we'd chat about our faith. Eric told me one day about his prayer life. It stuck with me forever. He said he would end his day by thinking through the events, what he'd thought, what he'd done. And his prayers would go like this. He'd say, Lord, when have I not shown love or joy or peace? When have I been impatient or unkind or bad or faithless or, or rough or undisciplined. And, and when he had thought through those things, he'd pray, Lord, I'm sorry. Fill me with your spirit and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. But it wasn't all negative. For then Eric would pray, Lord, when have I been loving today or joyful or peaceful or patient or kind or good or faithful or gentle or self-controlled? And he'd thank the Lord for making him a bit more like Jesus. Eric told me that he tried to do that every day. It's a habit that I would heartily commend. For, you see, Eric understood the point that, that Paul was making when he wrote to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. 
if you turn to your Bibles there, if you have one there, Galatians chapter 5, 22 to, verse, to, to 25. It's for page 1172, I think. Yep, page 1172. Just, we'll just read it again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. How do we cultivate it? If we're going to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we must first, verse 24, crucify the flesh. We've got to trim the weeds. Like Eric, we hold up the mirror of God's word to our lives and identify the blemishes. John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, put it like this. When we came to Jesus Christ, we repented. We crucified everything we knew to be wrong. We took our self-centered nature and nailed it to the cross. So if we crucified the flesh, we must leave it there to die. We must renew every day this attitude towards sin of ruthless and uncompromising rejection. We have declared war on sin. We're not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good and we are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh and we are never going to draw the nails. To grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we must first, verse 24, crucify the flesh, but also verse 25, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. We reject one path to follow another one. And notice how active those words are. We live by the Spirit, we keep in step. There's no passive let go and let God here. And neither is it just trying in our own strength, as, as Neil was mentioned to you tomorrow. It's not moralism, this. No, no, it's this fantastic combination of living, of being, of walking and stepping, of doing. It is to actively, by the power of the Spirit, to seek to emulate the life and character of the master we follow. It's to surrender ourselves to the life of Christ Holiness or likeness to Jesus, it doesn't happen by accident or by magic. We need to consistently and diligently reject what is wrong with our lives as the Spirit identifies those things in our hearts and then consistently and diligently set ourselves with God's help to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If we're going to grow in faithfulness, we need to reject faithlessness and to actively practice integrity and fidelity in our lives. Now, I'm sure that, that this evening, as we've examined what biblical faithfulness is, as we've thought about the wonderful character of Jesus, I'm sure that, I hope that each of us have been thinking about areas of our lives where we need to grow in faithfulness. Now, if you don't mind, can I just finish by telling you about three areas of the life my life, where the Lord has gently been challenging me over these last week or two when I was preparing this. And, and if, I hope that they will resonate with you. 
but if they don't, that's fine. Think about those other areas where God is speaking to you tonight. But, but for me, when I was thinking about these things, the first thing that came to mind was being faithful to the word of God. I, I mentioned earlier that sometimes our culture values uncertainty or ambiguity over certainty and truth. As Christians, we, we follow someone who was uncompromising, who said he spoke the truth and he was the truth. In a pluralistic culture like ours, that can be hard to adhere to, can't it? It's easy to allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. It's easy to acquiesce to this lazy notion that your truth isn't my truth, so that's all okay, and we stay quiet or do nothing for fear of offense. In the, I work in a university, in a university context where I work, that can be hard at times to maintain my Christian integrity, to be true to what I say I believe in my words and my deeds. Pray that I'd stay faithful to God's word. The second is being faithful to other people. And by faithful here, I, I mean being loyal to them, sticking with them through thick and thin, pledging myself to them. We, we read a wonderful example of that from Ruth. I love the book of Ruth. Ruth is one of my heroes in the Bible. I love Ruth's example of selfless devotion to Naomi, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. There, there, was, there was nothing in this for Ruth. Ruth doesn't get to read the end of the book before she sets off with Naomi to go back to Bethlehem. She just doesn't know what's going to happen. What she thinks is going to happen is that she's just going to die and be buried. But she pledges to go. She leaves her own culture and people for a future of dreadful uncertainty. And why? Because of her commitment to Naomi. I confess that I can be fickle at times in my relationships. I, I want to hold back perhaps a wee bit from really getting to know other people. I'm content at times with superficiality. I care for my own needs more than I care for others. There are people in this church who I know who are like Ruth. They, they quietly get alongside other people. They spot the need for companionship or friendship or practical support, and they pledge themselves to them, and they just get on with it. God bless you. God bless you. I'd like to be more like that, to demonstrate Christ-like fidelity like that. And the third is the biggest of all, perhaps. It's, it's to be faithful in following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really just to keep going. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, until the end and not just to survive, not just to sort of struggle along or just about make it, but to thrive. Not to be content with coasting in my walk with Christ, not to give in to cynicism or doubt or disappointment. I'm at that part of stage of my life where those things are 
big things. You get to your 50s. Shakespeare was right, wasn't it? You know, those stage, seven stages of man, whatever. I'm there with that. Cynicism and doubt and uncertainty and, yeah, I've seen it all before. Those are the sorts of things that come through in my life. And they can affect faith sometimes. But we're called not to be half-hearted in our response to the calling God has given us. I want to follow him more closely every day, to love him more, to be more like him as the years go on. And to do that when it's hard, and, and I know many people here are facing times when it's really hard in your life to be faithful right now. But also, actually, and perhaps this is the subtle temptation, it's hard to do it when it's easy, when, when things just seem to go well at times, and we can forget God in our lives and not want to bring that passion, that conviction, that desire to grow and to be more like him day by day. Uh, Chris Wright said in the book I recommended earlier, faithfulness is wholehearted, whole life allegiance to Christ as Lord and Savior. It means faithfulness to the Bible, faithfulness to the gospel, faithfulness to the church, faithfulness to the work God has given you to do. It means faithfulness to the mission of God in the world. Faithfulness means that you know what you really believe, whom you really love, and what you are ultimately committed to. Faithfulness means being sure of what you want to live for and what you're willing to die for. Faithfulness is what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Our purpose statement as a church is to see what? To see unbelieving people become what? Faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me to be a faithful follower, even as I pray for you? That one day, in fact, not in the distance, not just when we die, but even at the end of this week, God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.